hey, hey, what is up, y'all? Happy weekend, especially happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. The episode this week is for the boys, okay? They don't get enough love. It's Father's Day, so what better time to acknowledge all the dads out there just doing their best than right now. But I also want to talk about all the guys out there in general and something that I think the vast majority of males struggle with, and that is mental health awareness and the stigma around asking for help. Did y'all know, and don't lie to me, did you guys know that June is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month? Because it is. I feel like we don't even hear about it ever at all especially compared to some of the other months, like Women's Month, Black History Month, even AAPI Month, I feel like, is more commonly known than Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. But yeah, it's in June. If you didn't know, we're, you know, over halfway through it. And I feel like I have seen absolutely nothing about it on social media or anything. But you know what? I feel like that's pretty apropos with how our society actually addresses men's mental health struggles and treatments, which is just... They don't, it's just non-existent. They're like, oh, if they don't acknowledge it at all, you know, if they don't talk about it, maybe it'll just go away. But guess how long June has been the established month for men's health awareness? Just take a guess. I asked Daniel what his guess was, because first off, he didn't even know that June was Men's Mental Health Month. He's like, really? That's pretty cool, I didn't know that. But yeah, I was like, how long do you think it's been officially established as a thing? And he was like, I don't know, four years? I was like, nope, longer. He's like, six years, eight years? I was like, nope, 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 keep guessing. You know what it is? 1994. That shit's older than I am. That's insane to me. That's, like I said, that's just, that's the epitome of why it's so difficult for men to just get treatment, to ask for help. Because if they can't even openly talk about a month dedicated to them and raising awareness, there you go. Like, that's your answer right there. You know what I mean? But yeah, 1994, Congress officially established it. It's crazy. So, like I said, no one knows about it. No one talks about it. So what better place than right here for me to talk about it? Here's some quick stats for y'all from the mentalhealthamericanational.org. They have this really cool infographic, so let's look at this quick. Starting off strong, the U.S. male population is 151.7 million people. Six million of those are males affected by depression per year. Some nice little capitalism stats. Serious mental illnesses cost America $193.2 billion in lost earnings per year. One in five adults experience a mental health problem each year. Five major mental health problems affecting men. Number one, we've got depression. Like I just said, over six million suffer from depression per year. Male depression often goes undiagnosed. Men are more likely to report fatigue, irritability, loss of interest in work or hobbies, rather than feelings of sadness or worthlessness. Next one up, we have anxiety. Approximately 19.1 million American adults aged 18 to 54 have some form of an anxiety disorder. Over 3 million men have a panic disorder, agoraphobia, or any other phobia. The next one's bipolar disorder. 2.5 
2.3 million Americans are affected by this disorder and an equal amount of men and women develop the illness. The age of onset for men is between 16 to 25 years old. Next, we have psychosis and schizophrenia. Approximately 3.5 million people in the U.S. are diagnosed with schizophrenia, and it is one of the leading causes of disability. 90% of people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia by age 30 are men. And lastly, we have eating disorders. Male account for an estimated 10% of patients with anorexia or bulimia, and an estimated 35% of those with binge eating disorders. Men with eating disorders are less likely to seek professional help than women. This is a huge one just because, you know, Daniel and I do lift a lot, and so we're in that realm of social media a lot. He watches a ton of YouTube videos of you know, professional bodybuilders and all these people, right? And that is just, it's so much more prevalent than we think. That's one of those that we definitely assign, one of those disorders that we assign gender roles to and we're like, oh, it's a guy, he can't have an eating disorder. They absolutely can. We're like, oh, guys can't have body dysmorphia. They absolutely can. Specifically in the lifting world, arguably equal or more than women do. So just for my girlies out there, every single time you're like, oh, I'm, I'm wearing my tight pants tonight means I can't eat. Or, oh, we're going to the beach tomorrow. My stomach's going to be out. Can't eat carbs today. Let me limit it. Or, oh, I ate whatever. I had my cheat meal yesterday means I have to starve myself for the next three days. Or every single time that you just look at your reflection in the mirror and you're like, mm look at this imperfection or wouldn't it be better if I had this person's body shape or that person's frame or that person's leanness or that person's butt or that any blah 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 right these are like common every single day intrusive thoughts that basically every woman has guys get that too guys absolutely have that as well and I think that's a huge one that is just unacknowledged out there like I said, especially in the lifting world. You've got people like Arnold, Sebum, all these people. You think guys aren't looking at that? You think guys aren't looking and being like, uh, if only I looked like that. If only my biceps were bigger. If only my calves were bigger. There's genetics, y'all, that come into play. Not everyone is going to have a beefy chest. Not everyone is going to be stacked on their lats. Not everyone is going to have thick legs. If you have a longer femur, you have a longer femur. You can't change that genetically. So just keep that in mind. I think, like I said, especially listening to some of these, um, I guess they're dietitians or like nutrition coaches, whatever their official title is. Some of these videos that Daniel watches on YouTube and stuff. And I'm just listening to them talk and I'm like, boy, you have an eating disorder. Like, please get help. The whole like, oh, dieting and I'd rather diet and look good than not and look bad. And I'm like, get the help that you need, please, for all of us. So, yes, foot stomped eating disorders and the body dysmorphia because, like I said, that one, it's like, it's like we automatically assume men can't be affected by it and they just absolutely can't. And, of course, the other heavy hitter that we have with men's mental health awareness is suicide rates. So, the highest suicide rates in the U.S., according to this infographic by mentalhealthamericanational.org, 
The highest suicide rates in the U.S. are found in Caucasian men over the age of 85. Male suicide rates have been on the rise since 2000. Suicide is the seventh leading cause of death among males, accounting for 2.2% of all male deaths in 2011. More than four times as many men as women die by suicide in the U.S. Gay and bisexual men are more likely to develop mental health disorders than heterosexual men. Gay males are at an increased risk for suicide attempts, especially before the age of 25. More than four times as many men as women die by suicide in the U.S. In 2010, a total of 38,000 Americans died by suicide, and over three quarters, 79% of these suicides were men. Some factors include social isolation, substance abuse, unemployment, military-related trauma, genetic predisposition, and other mood disorders. All of these factors put individuals at a higher risk for suicide. With substance abuse, we have alcohol dependency. Approximately one in five men develop alcohol dependency during their lives, especially our veterans. Male veterans, regardless of their form of service, they experience nearly twice the rate of alcohol and drug use as women, which I know none of my military folks out there are going to argue with that. I would say a solid four out of five to four and a half out of five have some forms of alcohol dependency. And if you think you don't, please, please, please take a good look inward because you might find that's more prevalent than you think. If you can't go on a TDY without drinking, if you can't be at a social event without drinking, that might be your answer. Um, gay and bisexual men are more likely to have higher rates of substance abuse than heterosexual men. And then I thought it was pretty cool too. Um, they have like a list of famous athletes with mental illness, which I think is cool because it kind of, it makes it more real. It makes it a little bit more relatable a lot of times. With sports, we like idolize these athletes and we kind of treat them like they're gods and we treat them like they're superhuman, which are they talented? Yes. No one's denying that. Do they have superior genetics? Debatable. But yeah, I think honestly just putting a face to some of these illnesses, it makes it, it just makes it real. And it's also like, hey, if Terry Bradshaw, you know, suffered panic attacks all the time after games and he had you know, clinical depression since at least the late 1990s when he was diagnosed. And he's, you know, one, he's doing just fine. He's still a great human. He's still doing all of this amazing, impressive stuff. You know, maybe guys can look at that and be like, all right, if he can do it, maybe I can do it too. Maybe there isn't any shame in going to the doctor and getting that depression symptoms checked out. You know what I mean? Um, Larry Sanders... I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know Terry Bradshaw and I think I recognize the name Larry Sanders, but, but yeah, he left the NBA to spend time addressing his mental health issues, which include anxiety and depression. Jim Pearsall, I don't know if I'm saying that right. During his rookie season in 1952, he suffered a breakdown leading to a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, then called manic depression at the time. And he went on to play for 20 years of professional baseball. Brandon Marshall announced his diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. He spent three months of intensive treatment at 
some hospital in Belmont where he used dialectic behavioral therapy to work on emotional regulation. Um, Earl Campbell diagnosed with panic and anxiety disorder. He reveals his struggles with mental illness in his autobiography published in 1999. So there's a whole bunch of people on here if you guys want to check it out. I recommend it. But the biggest thing here is men are just in every single category for every single disease or disorder or mental health issue in every way possible men are less likely than women to seek help point blank period for depression for substance abuse for stressful life events for anxiety all of these things even just sometimes general health like hey you have high cholesterol hey you have high blood pressure hey you have chest pains they are just less likely to go to the doctor. They are less likely to ask for help. They are less likely to acknowledge that something is wrong than women. And you know, that's for a variety of reasons. That's for a reluctance to talk. That's because they're downplaying their symptoms. They're downplaying the significance of those symptoms. They're the social norms about asking for help. All of these things come into play. So like I said, point blank up front. The prevalent theme here is that men need more help than they're getting and the chance of them asking for help is slim to none. And I think we can all agree on why that is. You know, men are raised from birth to be the strong ones, the providers, the rock, the foundation of the family unit, the unbreakable ones. And all of these stereotypes, arguably unrealistic expectations, they don't really fit in with mental health awareness or asking for help in that realm. Those two are not necessarily seen as synonymous. They're raised from day one not to show emotion. They get told they're being a girl or a sissy or a wuss if they complain or cry or show any emotion except anger and aggression. They're taught that fighting is manly and protective. They're taught not to show pain. That's a huge one too. You think about little kiddos that fall down, that scrape, you know, scrape their knee, whatever. What do we tell the boys? Oh, suck it up. Don't cry. Act like a man. Stiffen up that upper lip. Okay, now I'm just quoting Eminem. But you guys, you get the picture. Like, we do that from such a young age. No wonder men have a hard time embracing and regulating their true emotions. Because we've taught them that they must mask their emotions no matter what. They have to disassociate from their pain and internalize it so deeply to make it go away or drink it away or use any substance to dull it. I mean, no wonder we're in this predicament. And I saw this article by Andrew Reiner. He's a parenting expert, author, professor, the whole shebang. And he wrote about the number one phrase that dads are sick of hearing on Father's Day. And so I was like, oh man, let me, let me check out this article to make sure I'm not saying it to Daniel, whatever, you know. And he said the number one phrase that dads are sick of hearing is, thanks for being our rock. And I thought that was interesting because then he goes on to tell kind of his story. And he was saying that, you know, his son was in kindergarten and the class was singing this Father's Day song to celebrate. And it was basically all just, my dad is big and strong. And Reiner was talking about how he didn't love that message. He actually talked to the head administrator and told them that he felt the song was, quote, stereotypically masculine message, unquote. And the administrator response was, oh, it's just a sweet, harmless song. But personally, I agree with Reiner. 
This is how it starts. It's always sweet and harmless. Like everything else I mentioned on this podcast about words having a bigger impact than we think, about how the little things are the big things, about how intentions do matter. This is a perfect example of that. This song is subliminally reinforcing the idea of what constitutes masculinity and what a quote-unquote good dad looks like. And Reiner actually spent a lot of years studying gender identity and social constructs of masculinity. He wrote a book called Better Boys, Better Men, if y'all are interested. It looks pretty good. But his advice was instead of telling dads how strong and emotionally bulletproof they are, Consider saying something along the lines of, hey, I'm grateful for the time we get to spend together and I want to know more about how you're feeling. And I think that's great advice. Not to make everything a joke, but you know those memes about the dogs or the animals and it's like, it's always who's a good boy, but never how's the boy doing, you know? But I think there's some value in that. I mean, as women, we always want to be spoiled and pampered. We want our feet rubbed. We want the soft forehead kisses. We want to be the little spoon, all that. Have you ever just snuggled a dude and rubbed their head? Or given them a hand massage? Or given them the little forehead kisses? They melt at that shit. It's because they never get to be little spoon. They never get to be cuddled. They never get to just be pampered. I sometimes think that's why all men, and don't fight me on this because it's true, y'all know it, all men turn into absolute weenie hut juniors whenever they're sick. It'll be the slightest sniffle or sneeze or cough, and they act like they're dying. And they do that little eye squinty thing, and they're like, oh, I think I have a fever. I just, I just, oh, I just can't, I can't go on. They're so dramatic about it. But I think that that's probably because... The only time that they get sympathy and cared for and comforted is when they're sick. And that's why they inherently milk it so much. And that's why they're so dramatic about it. Because that's the only time that they can kind of take off their shell of, I can never be hurt, I can never be harmed, I'm Superman. That's the only time that they can just be gently comforted. And you know, we always want the guy to ask us how our day is. When do we ask them how their day was and actually care and ask follow-up questions? Just a thought. And like I said, so much of this is embedded into men growing up subliminally throughout society in well-intended comments, like that song. And so for example, I'm, I'm like a little Bob the Builder right now in our new house. You know, I've been getting hella new furniture, bookshelves, bar stools, dressers, desks, bed frames, whatever. And I just put it together myself. Add me on Snapchat if you'd like to follow along with the chaos. But it's just, one, it's fun for me to put together the furniture myself. And two, Daniel has helped me a little bit, but like, it's just not really his thing. And you know, he's at work all day. And I'm still on my terminal leave, so I can just work on it throughout the day, drink my little coffee, and it's like a fun little puzzle for me, you know? But like, if you're at work all day, The last thing you probably want to do is figure out Ikea directions and put together a bookshelf. I didn't want to do that after I got home from work. And so yeah, so I just do it by myself. And I, did I grow up putting furniture together? No. But I think I was kind of raised to problem solve a little bit more and to kind of, you know, work with screwdrivers, things like that, a little bit more than Daniel was. And so for him, he was like, 
What do you mean the desk isn't coming pre-assembled? Furniture is always pre-assembled. Like he's got that mindset, right? Which to me, there is nothing wrong with. That's just not his thing. And so I was talking to some people back home, right? And I was just putting together, puttering around, putting together a bookshelf. And they were like, oh my God, are you doing that yourself? And I was like, yeah. They're like, where's Daniel at? I'm like, he's at work. It's 12 p.m. on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? And I told them all the same things I just mentioned. And they're like, oh, well, I get my husband to put stuff together for me. And I'm like, cool, that's you. That's not me. And they were kind of making side comments about Daniel not building the furniture. Like it was a manly quality he was missing. And I'm like, that's just not his thing. It doesn't have to be his thing. He's got plenty of other better qualities that I would much rather that he have as a husband and as a father than putting together furniture that I can do myself, that I have the free time to do right now. I mean, honestly, if it comes down to emotional intelligence and regulation or the ability to put together a desk in 30 minutes, I'm taking the emotional regulation every single day, every day. First things first, he's not going to take this fun away from me, (laughs) but bigger picture, That doesn't make him any less of a man or any, definitely not any less of a father or a husband. And for our housewarming gift, they were talking previously about getting Daniel a toolkit. And then after talking to me, they were like, oh, well, maybe the tool should just be for you then if you're going to be doing all that kind of stuff anyway. And I'm like, listen, a home is a home. Tools for him is tools for me. It's all going to the same place. And the benefits of having a cool bookshelf in the living room affect both of us. We're a team, but yeah, like why? You know what I mean? Just just be careful with those little subliminal messages that you're sending about what constitutes masculinity or father skills or anything like that. So yeah, I think this article by Reiner, super justified. And honestly, I think all men should read it and his book because he goes on in his article to list a few reasons why it's so important to encourage emotional vulnerability in fathers And I think, I mean, I think he just, hey, y'all, good Father's Day pun about everything I'm saying don't do. He hits the nail on the head with this. But yeah, he said, number one, it promotes overall well-being. So he says, dads are often seen as stoic pillars or financial providers of the family. They might not realize it, but because of these societal messages, many of them find validation in fulfilling these expected roles. But when men consistently show up with an impulse to fix things and save the day, they fall into a toxic cycle of people-pleasing and, as a result, forget to prioritize their own needs. This kind of behavior and the habit of repressing emotions creates a profound sense of detachment from themselves and from their loved ones. It's a major factor behind why so many men experience loneliness. And next, he says, it'll deepen family bonds. And he said that there's a couple of ways dads can start opening up more with their children. So he said, you know, share childhood memories or photographs with your kids. Talk about how it felt to be you in that moment. And this will help them better understand and relate to you. He said another approach is to start a conversation about all of the different ways people can show strength, like through honesty, generosity, gratitude. And he said, talk about who you admire and what positive characteristics you strive to embody. Third, he says it helps raise more resilient kids, which I think right here is like the huge one. 
So he said, for all of the strides that we've made in conversations about gender, we're still mired in dusty relics of old school masculinity. Think TV shows and movies that depict dads as bumbling babysitters that are incompetent and useless or no-nonsense disciplinarians. He said, we can move beyond these stereotypes by practicing and modeling nurturing love. Studies show that emotionally present dads raise more resilient and confident kids, show empathy, rather than telling them to toughen up, meet your child's meltdowns and tears with listening and affirmation. And I think this is a big one too for men and women. Apologize when you've behaved in a way that you aren't proud of. This models humility, courage, and emotional accountability. So it's a great article. Like I said, it, honestly, if you Google it, like number one phrase, dads are sick of hearing. And then Reiner, it'll pop up. It was published like two days ago. So it should be near the top. But in in the title of this episode, y'all see toxic masculinity is also part of this. And you guys are probably thinking of the other side of toxic masculinity that's usually mentioned in social media right now and all that. And they kind of take it to extremes. And keep in mind, this is me saying this, right? So, yeah. Toxic masculinity is not man bashing in its truest sense. Um, All of this that I've said right now, so far, to me is the true meaning of toxic masculinity. It's the facade of masculinity. And yes, in some contexts, it does hurt women when men take domineering masculinity to an extreme and they're abusive, but this masquerade and show of quote-unquote true masculinity is predominantly toxic to men. It's hurting themselves, as we see in these raging health statistics and suicide rates and death rates. It's hurting them, and it's hurting their sons and nephews and cousins and all the other little males that they're raising to be just like them. And so there's a critical theory book that I had to read for grad school. The OG listeners might remember it, Um, When I mentioned it previously, I mean, back in like episode three or four, it was way at the beginning last year. It's called Borderlands by Gloria Anzaldúa. And she speaks predominantly from the Mexican Native American cultural background. But I think it also applies to American males as well. And she talks a lot about how men are forced into toxic masculinity because they're raised to believe that women are so inferior that to share any sort of emotional ties or vulnerability or any of those sort of gendered roles is to be inferior. It it means to be nothing. So she has a quote, you're nothing but a woman, means you are defective. Its opposite is to be a man. The modern meaning of the word machismo as well as the concept, is actually an Anglo invention. For men like my father, being macho meant being strong enough to protect and support my mother and us, yet also still being able to show love. Today's macho has doubts about his ability to feed and protect his family. His machismo is an adaptation to oppression and poverty and low self-esteem. It is a result of hierarchical male dominance, The loss of a sense of dignity and respect in the macho breeds a false machismo which leads him to put down women and even to brutalize them. Coexisting with his sexist behavior is a lover for the mother which takes precedence over that of all others. Devoted son, macho pig. 
to wash down the shame of his acts, of his very being, and to handle the brute in the mirror, he takes to the bottle, the snort, the needle, and the fist. As long as the men think they have to sleep with women, I'm censoring this a little bit for y'all, but you get the idea, and each other to be men, as long as men are taught that they are superior and therefore culturally favored to the women, as long as to be a woman is a thing of derision, there can be no real healing of our psyches. We're halfway there. We have such love for the mother, the good mother. The first step is to unlearn the horror-virgin dichotomy. Tenderness, a sign of vulnerability, is so feared that it is showered on women with verbal abuse and blows. Men, even more than women, are fettered to gender roles. Women, at least, have had the guts to break out of bondage. Only gay men have had the courage to expose themselves to the woman inside them and to challenge the current masculinity. I've encountered a few scattered and isolated gentle straight men, the beginnings of a new breed, but they are confused and entangled with sexist behaviors that they have not been able to eradicate. We need a new masculinity and a new man needs a movement." Also keep in mind that this was written in 1987, so some of the language is a little bit dated, but I think you guys get the message underneath. And if you're feeling like she comes down on men pretty hard, she does go on to talk a lot about how we can't close our hearts to men, to our brothers, because of the few abusers. But she also does say we need to stand up to this toxic behavior. But yeah, she goes on to close out her section with the line, quote, lumping the males who deviate from the general norm with man the oppressor is a gross injustice, unquote. And I wish I could find the podcast clip, but I can't right now. I can't remember this guy's name, but my friend sent it to me and it was so good. And it was, as per the usual, a podcast with like three guys on it. But it was a super good message. And he was saying that he his rule for all of his friends, especially his male friends, is that they can never cry alone. So he said, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what time of day it is, what night, anything. If you are crying, if you are upset, if you need someone to talk to, call me. Like, that's the only thing I ask, is that you don't cry alone. Even if I can't do anything, even if I can't solve it, if I can't give you advice, if I can't relate, if I can't sympathize, don't cry alone. And I think that's a super good message. Damn, I wish I could find it. I thought it would be a lot easier to find too if you just Google that, but it is not. So if any of y'all know which clip I'm talking about, send me the name, please, and thank you. But yeah, I think that's the best message. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't cry alone. Don't let your friends cry alone. And like I said, it's all, once we have the conversation, once it's commonplace to talk about men and body dysmorphia or eating disorders or mental health awareness or anxiety, little things like that, you know, because girls say that all the time. They're like, oh, I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm having a breakdown. You know, I'm spiraling. I just don't feel like guys ever say that. I feel like guys never feel like they have a safe enough space where they can say, hey man, I'm really stressing out about this job interview, this new school I'm going to, this class, whatever. I just feel like they can't ever, they're never allowed to admit that they're nervous that they're worried, that they're scared of anything. They just never have that safe space. 
And I think that's what we all as a society really need to work on. And in my head, the only way you work on that is to make it commonplace. You know, like the best thing I think we can do is make it common knowledge, one. And two, just acknowledge like, hey, yeah, I go through that too. I've had depressive states too. I'm also terrified of the unknown and I'm terrified to, you know, jump into this new career field, whatever the case may be. I think it's great when celebrities acknowledge their weaknesses, quote unquote weaknesses, right? Because I don't think it's true weakness. I think it takes strength to acknowledge where you need help and when you need help. That's the best thing we can do. That's why I always love the last podcast because all three of them have diagnosed mental disorders and they all talk about it all the time. And so it kind of helps make it real. It makes it relatable. It makes it just commonplace. And then, yeah, you can be like, oh, he's doing this with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or anxiety or depression, whatever the case may be. And he's a published novelist. He's got an amazingly successful podcast. He's got his own coffee brand, whatever the case may be, right? Same thing with athletes, same thing with your heroes, whoever you look up to, whoever your form of a celebrity is. I think it's great when they acknowledge that stuff. And I think it also starts with us too. We need to be having those conversations. We need to be telling our friends, hey man, I'm not okay right now. I'm going through it. Like I said, maybe your friends can help, maybe they can't. But at least they can be there for you in their own capacity, in whatever way they see fit. And that's all we can ask for. So this episode got a little long. I apologize, but I think it's important. Like I said, I we just, we need to talk about this. Like we need to see the posts that June is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. We need to acknowledge that we also go through things. That if you're a man, you are also a human that has emotions and that is perfectly fine. That you also have pains and that you go see the doctor. Why is going to a doctor a sign of weakness? I will never understand. I don't get it. But yeah, when I say be a decent human being, make good choices, that also includes the boys, okay? That means making good choices for yourself. That means taking care of yourself. And being a decent human being, that means taking care of each other, looking out for your homies, taking care of them when they need your help, when they need your support, okay? Yes, that is it for me. I love you guys. Please love each other. I will talk to y'all next week. Okay, bye.